1: For more information, visit HeritageFoodsUSA.com. Hey, 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 I'm Jimmy Carboni from Beer Sessions Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more.
0: Hello,
2: Greenhorns. This is Severin. This is Greenhorns Radio, radio for young farmers, by young farmers, and today... We're talking about quantum agriculture. Uh, Well, we're talking about becoming landed and farming in Georgia. This is Severin, and I'm interviewing Darby Weaver. Hi, Darby. Hi. How's it going? It's going very well. Is it hot down there? Holy moly. I can't believe it would be hotter than here. (laughs) Yeah, it's always hot down here. Um. Let's talk a little bit about the farm that you're on and then let's get going back into past and into future.
1: Okay. Tell us well, a little bit about the land I, and what you're doing. Well, my husband and myself took over Hugh Levels' old farm in Georgia. It's uh, one of the oldest biodynamic farms in the southeast. And we have been on the land for three years together. Uh, Elliot and myself have been farming together for seven years. And we bought the farm this year. So it's pretty exciting. Mm-hmm.
2: Will you talk a little bit about the process of finding that farm and uh, how you approached it and especially consider the perspective of other landless farmers who are potentially hovering around awesome, innovator, dynamic leaders of the hippie generation farmers? and um, interpersonal and kind of territory negotiation that, that takes to succeed.
1: Yes. Well, Elliot and myself met in Vermont where young farmers farming is kind of an accepted idea. And then we came down to the south where Elliot is from, and that idea is not as accepted The agriculture narrative of the South has a lot to do with production, farming, and exploitation on a lot of different levels. Um, And there is now a core group of individuals trying to change that in Georgia, which is really exciting. And once I came down here with Elliot, I felt really inspired to be a part of that. And we moved from one property to the other, starting a business, a small farm. Paying on a lease and then changing direction. Um, We don't come from money. We have no family land, so this has been a huge process for us, but every property we learned a little bit more about growing and a little bit more about what it means to have an agricultural business. Um, As far as finding this piece of property, we were really lucky in making a connection with Hugh Lovell and his wife, Shabri, who were both... um, amazing, inspiring people that now travel the globe talking about biodynamic agriculture. And they saw our vision and our passion and supported it and wanted to be a part of it. And they were welcoming on the property. They let us uh, explore what we've learned so far, and they were awesome mentors and taught us a little bit about, you know, I would say actually a lot about what they know. And we were able to integrate that all together not only into a farm organism, but also a business.
2: I want to dig a little deeper into what you said about production agriculture and narrative um, the kind of normative farm story of Georgia. Uh, we all know about peaches and pine and, wait a minute, peaches, pine, poultry. Maybe you better tell the story.
1: Yeah, um, well, you know, Georgia, being in the south, is very flat and it's very warm, so it kind of lends itself to agriculture on a larger scale, um, kind of like uh, the middle of the country. It's, it's pretty accessible to machinery and kind of turning a profit through an exploitative system and we can see that as far back as slavery and as far forward as uh, corn and peanuts and cotton now and while there's kind of this duality between production agriculture and this sort of negative connotation and exploitative quality but there's also a rich agricultural heritage in the south Um, and kind of Trying to not be hyper-negative about where we've come from and be more positive and proactive about where we're going is the process we're all facing in Georgia. And hopefully we will uh, kind of attract more young farmers that are interested in growing down here. It's, it's hot and it's buggy and it's humid and it's not easy. Uh, the support system is just developing. But at the same time, it's a new idea. It's kind of a new idea and an old concept, and there is a lot of opportunity here so so tell me tell
2: or tell us what tell us why an opportunity um you know this is one of the big conversations that people are having you know who are in Vermont or Massachusetts or New York, where there's like a whole dynamic, awesome young farmer culture established and um you know, the discussion about whether to go out and seek new territory uh, elsewhere, either to find land or uh, to be close to family or uh, to get into a place where there's less competition for vegetables. Tell us about the opportunity as you see it to that territory down there.
1: Yeah, well, it's kind of a complex mix of things, but the Southeast um there's not a lot of it going on so as far as like competition is concerned you can make a living as long as your operation is diversified and caters to the needs of your community but also there's just a need there's a need for it uh one of the reasons why i'm inspired to stay in the southeast is because it's not as though the southeast is less intelligent as anywhere else they're just not as exposed to these ideas i feel like When we lived in the Northeast, the territory, even the terrain kind of lends itself to small farms. Um, When you have a lot of water and a lot of mountains and things like that, it kind of divides those pieces of land up into kind of manageable bites. And in the South, it's a lot different. There's not as much glacial till, there's not as much natural water, it's just kind of large and sprawling and it lends itself to a type of agriculture that doesn't benefit the soil. And while red clay is kind of an eyesore and it's hard to deal with, it's also super nutrient packed and full of a lot of potential. And if you incorporate some ecological growing systems into a red clay soil, then you've got a gold mine, really. So let's talk a little more about the gold mine and also, um, what
2: your observations are using, you know, the alchemists always say that the human body is the most powerful instrument. What do you sense as you're working the land that's been cared for biodynamically and using some of these quantum quantum principles as they say, uh, compared to the lands around you? Like what do you feel about that?
1: Well, I would say I've been very lucky on my path in agriculture. Uh, From the very beginning, I was exposed to the idea of biodynamics. And simplified down, biodynamics is really seeing your farm as an entity where every living organism is kind of nesting within every other organism. Everything is kind of connected, whether it's to the physical reality that we're all existing in, That we can see on planet earth all the way out to the cosmos which give it rhythm and a sentient nature and things like that and realizing that your farm is actually an ecology that exists through relationships that mimic those relationships found within your own body is pretty powerful Uh, while the farm organism itself doesn't necessarily have like a kidney and the liver and lungs, it has a system of working parts that are all alive and all working together symbiotically to create that system, to create the idea of the kidney on your farm that purifies the land, to create the lungs that bring oxygen into the soil and allow things to breathe. Um, seeing the way that that unfolds in the landscape and knowing that it's mirrored in myself, uh, I mean, There's no greater, more fulfilling process in life, I don't think. Being connected to a piece of land in this way has totally changed my life um, and also revealed a lot about myself that I need to work on and spiritually grow through.
2: Well, that's not the kind of... um that's not the kind of self-reflection that I can uh, walk away from as an interviewer. Um, what? <laughs> let's talk about that. What are you? What are you confronting? Um, how? How do? How do you? What's the self-reflection part of a sustainable ag practice? Cause this is a big topic for John Ruskin as well.
1: Well, I think there's there's uh, something to do with the living quality of a piece of land. When you dedicate yourself to a niche in a system, you're kind of master curator of this thing that you will never actually control. It's something that you're involved in and you have creative expression within, but it's not something that you will ever master. Every year something that went really well last year will go terribly and something that went terribly last year will surprise you and in farming really there's no such thing as failing there's only moving forward you can make mistakes and the land is forgiving I mean even in these monster agriculture facilities that we see around whether it's livestock or crops uh, that land can replenish itself given the right tools and given the right master curators. Um, But as far as myself, I think that every year I get more woven into my sense of place and I'm able to see myself more in the landscape and the universe grants me the challenges I need to grow. Once I feel like I have a handle on something, the universe will question that and challenge me further, uh, and I'm grateful for that process. There's nothing more present in the world than being intertwined with a living system. Um,
2: that whole project of humbling oneself to a larger ecology, and I think sailors are really good at it because of the wide, wild ocean and the wind, that blow and being in this little breakable vessel in the face of uh, in the face of this huge kind of majesty of the ocean, it, it's very it's very obvious and intuitive and normal to be humble right. like that. But I I I kind of feel like the culture that happens between the human and the computer. Uh, or between a, an engineer and a, and a and a machine or in a system, and frankly in a in a you know a buyer and a seller situ- situation, we have a kind of a false sense of mastery or of d- domination. Mhm. Uh, and I wonder. I don't know. I'm not a cultural person. I mean, I'm a, I'm a cultural person. I guess. I wonder what the impact is that you see of the way that your farm trains you um, to operate in the world? Like, what is the
1: impact of that training on your other actions in the world? Yeah, well, I think um, in sustainable farming in 2015, if we really want to benefit a landscape, then we're going to have to diversify our offerings at the same time. I know that... um, When you first get into organic agriculture, just coming out of college or just coming out of high school, whatever it may be, then you'll probably meet some, like, all-star rock-star farmer that farms um, organically and has insane production, but maybe the production has to do with bagged amendments and fertilizers, and maybe it's a little more exploitative than regenerative, and I feel like here... On a homestead specifically, we have the opportunity to value the productivity of our farm not only in what it actually produces and yields, but also in how it can regenerate itself. And When it comes to supporting a farm like that, um, you're not necessarily looking for one system for income. It's not like you can go to the farmer's market and make a killing, or you can just sell to restaurants and make a killing. You kind of have to incorporate the entire community and a diverse sense for that revenue stream. And because of that, because it's so essential for a farm that has a dynamic ecology to incorporate the needs of the community, it means that my dealings with my community um, are diverse. I, we here at the farm like to teach. We like to um, have other kinds of retreats. We incorporate the Waldorf Schools of Atlanta to come to our farm so that they can have on-farm experience so a younger generation can see a farm living out its ecology. Um, And we also sell to the local community through a CSA. We sell to restaurants. um, And it's through this diversity that we can support our ecological diversity because the community itself has a stake in our business uh, and we have a stake in the community. And that is another way that the farm itself mirrors um, the customers that come to the farm, because the farm within itself is made up of a dynamic community of individuals, and it services a community in a dynamic way, covering a few of the essential needs and maybe some extra fun things. Um, And because of this relationship, I have been able to see that the way that agriculture is happening in the United States today is a little bit less, uh, well, I would say a lot less interested and invested in the preservation of the land utilized and a little bit more focusing on one or two revenue streams that will really uh, make it worth it for the farmer and the investor, which is a pretty limited view of how these systems can actually work. So it's
2: really nice to hear your voice and to hear how well you've thought this stuff through. And um, as somebody who's pretty committed to the agrarian voice getting out into the world and not limiting our um, our voice interactions to the selling of product, but really spending time in the winter thinking and writing and speaking our truths. Um, I wonder if you could talk about your literary practice and the way that you find your voice in the world and maybe a bit of encouragement or guidance or just reflection for other people who are trying to find their authentic narrative voice as a grower in society. Um, I'll I'll leave it there.
1: Yeah, it's not easy. It's not easy to be a young farmer today. It's actually very difficult. The systems that run this country, whether they be corporate or governmental, are definitely not stacking in your favor. Uh, but uh-huh. there's kind of like a, you know, in life, there is a duality. There is an extreme and a countering extreme no matter what. And while you have this, insane burden of physically and mentally pulling something like this together and then doing your best to share it with your community and all the different revenues that you can. Um, there's also this incredible opportunity to for creative expression, um, whether that's music or art or writing or whatever, just any kind of creative expression. It's It's not only an opportunity, it's, I feel like it's an important part of it. Um, if you're dedicating yourself to a piece of land and you're investing your whole person in that process, there's probably a lot going on there that could inspire, to you, inspire you to create even more from that. And my writing practice uh, definitely 100% is inspired by the work that I do every day and I have my idols, you know. I have uh, Wendell Berry. I've read pretty much everything he's ever written. And his clear wisdom is something that cuts through anything. I mean, you could read one of his poems or stories in front of a crowd, and everyone would be touched. And all of that comes from his experience with using his two hands to create something on a piece of land. And that's incredible. That's something that isn't isn't something that everyone has the opportunity for anymore. We've kind of utilized this technological age to move forward in a lot of respects, but we've neglected a lot of things in the process. And a connection, a real connection to the physical reality we live in is slowly diminishing. And while we believe that because we're getting information faster, maybe we're – more present, maybe we're moving forward in some kind of way, we're actually cutting off our ability to be present. Uh, The natural world exists uh, in this very present state. All the animals and insects and plants are right here, right now. They're focused on survival, reproduction, interactions with other organisms, and because of... The way that we've been able to develop our technology and other things, we've kind of been able to separate ourselves from that. And that is a hindrance, and it also limits creative expression. I think that farming is the ultimate activism, because not only can you nurture a piece of land, you can nurture your family and a community, and you can have the inspiration enough to literally change the world. and I would say to anyone who's interested in that to just do it. Just start speaking your truth and get it out there and start changing this world. Yeah, lady. Well, I'm hoping that
2: you um, would consider contributing these kinds of opinions to the New Farmer's Almanac, um, which is a great moment for me to interlude about the editorial deadlines for that, which is... February 2016 is when we take in essays. Um, Charlie McCary, I'm happy to report, and Nicole Lavelle, who are the Almanac uh, editor and designer from last Almanac, are joining us again in the team. And we figured out that young agrarians can only write <laughs> for a February deadline. So... Or, so that's what we're aim that's what we're trying to get the word out as early as possible so you can use your hot brain and lay as you lay in the cold river, uh <laughs> you can think of topics that you can spend time writing about in the winter.
1: It's an awesome um, publication and an important one.
2: Yeah, I think it's good. We um we have to go we have to print more, which is good. So, um I am going to give you a second to think about if you have any announcements that you want to be making or last thoughts that you want to be taking um, and just do a tiny interlude on Green Farm, Green Farm, <laughs> Greenhorn Horn program um, and, and, and news. Um, if you haven't heard already, dear audience, we are taking to the wind once again in Greenhorn's world and coming down the coast from Maine to Boston on a 131-foot wooden schooner fold-up of products, organically grown cargo from Maine, non-perishable pickled fiddleheads and billy beans and honey and maple syrup, beeswax, candles and flour and beans. And also we're packing it in traditional barrels and boxes and bags. So it's a... Bundle, we're doing a lot of bundling and loading and unloading and ceremonial and pageantry uh, uh, events on the dock side. Events on August 4th, August 11th, August 22nd, 23rd, 27th, 30th. We're really like coming into the home stretch and the big sale. So if you haven't checked it out, main sale freight is um, on the Greenhorn's website. And, uh, yeah, it's been a really awesome experience and a really fun framework to approach the logistics of regional trade through the lens of maritime history and to take a look at the characteristics of trade over time, different parts of our economy, and how they do or do not lend themselves to democracy uh, and prosperity for... um, the majority of people. So we have a little publication coming out as well. It's a mani- manifest we call it the Manifesta because it's mostly written by women. And uh, we talk about the history of salt in the American Revolution, um, the history of of the barrels, of wooden barrels made in Maine that were going to collect molasses um uh, down in the Caribbean and ice and maple syrup. So, anyway, looking at the, like, history of those trade items for clues about the kind of economy we might want in the future. Okay, I've talked too much already. Anyway, tune in. Uh, I just started Instagramming, so now I'm, like, photographing everything on the boat.
1: (laughs) Uh, Last word is for you, lady. All right. Well, if I had to have one last word, I think I would say that in your, on your time on Earth, uh, you will have to face yourself through your life experiences, and there is no more fulfilling or gratifying process than doing that by incorporating yourself into a living system. And as far as a call to arms is concerned, now is the time to do that. We have the opportunity to save a lot of land from total loss and as many young people as we can get to be a part of that journey the more powerful we will become and power is not necessarily associated with money um it has a lot more to do with our spirit
2: Yeah baby awesome the land is calling and it's, calling. it's way more fun than anything you could ever imagine. I know this from experience. Dear people who are not yet farming, come.
1: Stop (laughs) typing.
2: I should tell myself that more. Okay, I really look forward to meeting you in person. Me too.
1: I wish you a, a pleasant afternoon. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you all. Talk to you next
2: week.